Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. I'm really excited to introduce the speaker today. I've known her for a long time, and uh, we go way back, and uh, we, we dreamed uh, about what it would, Kim and I dreamed together, we said, what would it be like to raise this little two-year-old girl in church life like this? This was as we were planting the church, and it's just been a joy. I mean, she loves Jesus, she loves the church, and you're going to hear that and what she's got to say. I mean, it's taken... I don't know why we haven't asked her to preach before, um, and we are so very proud, both Kim and me, of you. She's the best daughter in the world. Y'all give it up for Mrs. Emily Wardlaw. Aw, thanks, Dad. That was kind of a surreal moment, I'm not going to lie. Um, yeah, so if I haven't had the joy of meeting you um, in person, my name is Emily Wardlaw, and I'm the very proud daughter of Kim and Jamie Miller, who are the founding pastors and the lead pastors here at Antioch Fort Worth. And I'm also the very proud wife of Aaron Wardlaw, who is our worship pastor. So you could say that I'm pretty invested uh, here at Antioch Fort Worth. And I want to show you a picture of my family because I love them so much and I'm incredibly proud of them. But um, up on the screen at some point will come up. This is uh, me and Aaron and then our twin miracle daughters. This is Liv and Harper Wardlaw. And yeah, right? Look how cute they are. And uh they are so much fun. We're right in the throes of toddlerdom, so um, it's a lot of emotions all the time, and they turn three at the end of July, and we are just so, so blessed um, to have them. So we've been going through this sermon series while Dad has been on a study break, and the purpose of it has been to get people in our own church to speak, and we get to hear a ton of stories, personal stories of how people have walked with Jesus, what he's done in their lives, and how that's been partnered with the church. And... Uh, maybe not the local church here at Antioch Fort Worth, but the church as a whole as well. And it's honestly been really powerful and super encouraging. And I hope that you've been encouraged if you've been listening to those um, messages. But before I jump into mine and share a little bit of my story, I want to pray real quick and then we will get started. So please pray with me. Um, God, we just thank you for the opportunity to do this this morning, that we get to worship you. Um, and God, I just pray that you would um, just, your Holy Spirit would fall heavy in this place. And Lord, would you just bless me as I speak to my family? Um, just help me say your words. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've decided to title this message, Hope and Heartbeats. And I'll kind of explain as I go. But my main thing that I really want to get across more than anything else today is this. It is God wants to remind us that he fills us with hope and peace through Jesus and his church so that we can overflow to others. It's actually pretty simple, and it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, but I know that a lot of people in this room have walked through really, really hard things, and so when we're walking through hard stuff, it sometimes is hard to see Jesus in it, and so really, this whole message is about hope. It's about hope in Jesus and being refilled with the hope of Jesus. So I do have a Bible verse. It's one of my life verses, and I'm actually a teacher here in Fort Worth. I teach at a private Christian school, and if you are one of my students, could you stand up, please, if I taught you in the last two years? Aww. 
Thank you guys for coming. That means so much to me. I love you guys so, so much. Um, and I'll talk more about uh, teaching in a little bit. But in my email signature, they ask us to pick a Bible verse. And this is actually the verse that is listed in mine. And so I'm actually going to read it in two different translations. The first is in the NIV. And it's Romans 15, 13. And it says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's a really encouraging verse. I actually, um, if you don't know anything about me yet, I'm pretty high energy, and I like the message version better. Uh, And it says this. It says, oh, may the God of green hope fill you up with joy, fill you up with peace, so that your believing lives, filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit, will brim over with hope. And honestly, I'm, I'm just going to share a couple of different stories from my life. I'm going to start actually, though, at the very beginning, because I think it's helpful and it kind of sets the groundwork for what I experienced later in life. So um, I think our culture has a really interesting stereotype about pastor's kids. And the stereotype is this. Pastors are really, really involved with their church body. And because of that, it leaves very little time and energy to parent their kids at home. And so what happens to the kids at home is they feel neglected and they don't get the love and attention and time they need from their parents. And because of that, they rebel and they end up walking away from their family and the church as a whole. And I'm so thankful that that's not my story. Like, really, really thankful. And so, actually, I had a great childhood. And I'm not going to share all these things to brag at all. But I do think it helps as I talk about some of the hard things that I walked through as well. So, just a little picture of my life as a kid. I grew up in a house that was filled with worship and prayer. Mom and dad started this church because they wanted to uh, be a part of a church that they saw what they were reading in scripture actually be personified. And so a lot of that had to do with worship. And so I grew up with just music all around our home. We hosted prayer nights at our house that were several hours long that I, was, I just sat in. Um, my mom, when I was young, felt like she had heard the Lord say we needed to simplify our life. And so she gave away a lot of our household furniture. And so I grew up with no TV for a chunk of time. I mean, I'm, I am normal. Um, but uh, <laughs> I grew up with no TV for a little bit of time. And I also grew up with just a lot of space in our house to practice worship. And I have a specific memory of walking into what we called the music room. It was actually a dining room, but there was no dining table. And it had this huge stereo, like 1997, three and a half feet tall with these two massive speakers on the side and like fake wood paneling. It was just awful. (laughs) And um, it had these six CD changers, uh, played six different CDs and it was just CDs. Yeah, there's these like discs that you put in and they play music. And uh, (laughs) I just remember um, there was always worship music playing in our home. And this specific memory, I walked into the music room and both of my parents were face down on the ground listening to um, acoustic or instrumental piano music by John Elliott, who is a gifted pianist who loves Jesus very much. And like, that's a core memory for me for some reason. And I really feel like it actually stirred a lot of worship in my heart because what is happening here at church, mom and dad aren't faking it. Um, They never have been. It's always been something that's been going on at home and behind the scenes. And so Grew up in that, and also another huge piece to me is that my parents love each other very, very much. And so the older that I get and the more that I teach young people, it is vital to see the role of a mother and a dad who love each other in the home. And um, it's, it's really, really important. And so I actually grew up with a lot of confidence. I wasn't scared to go home. 
There wasn't tension in our household. There wasn't bickering and fighting and throwing things and abuse. Um, it was really peaceful. And so I actually would bring friends over, and we were little. I mean, probably sixth grade. And kids would say things like, your house is so calm. And I think they didn't have the words to say, your house is filled with peace from the Holy Spirit. Like, they just didn't know. Um, but that's some of what I grew up in. And I think, honestly, that fostered a lot of love for the church because it wasn't fake. Um, what was happening in our home was also happening at church. So a couple of things I think are interesting about being a pastor's kid, you are at everything. So if there's a worship night, you're there. Prayer night, you're there. Kids group, you're there. Youth camp, you're there. Mission trips, you're there. Um, if you're there on a Sunday morning, you're probably sitting on the front row. And I loved all of that. And I've actually only moved back one row <laughs> since I've grown up, which is kind of funny. Um, and another thing is that I was also raised by a ton of other people. So in our church... Matthew, who's my younger brother by four years, we kind of were in this pocket. Um, there weren't a lot of kids our age at the time growing up, but there were a ton of young families with a lot of young kids, and they just included me. And I think about it now, how often a 20-something or 30-something adult could have just dismissed me um, being a really obnoxious tween. I mean, middle schoolers, you know, and, um, and they didn't, they included me and they let me be a part of conversations and they laughed with me and they played with me. So like people like the Browns and the Gilds and the Tubbs and the Pinkstons and the Penningtons who I was going to mention and didn't even know you guys were going to be here, which is so cool. Um, those people were really influential in my life, like very, very influential. And actually, Lindy Pinkston, who is a children's pastor here and our women's pastor, she discipled me for a lot of years when I was growing up. And we talked about the Lord together. We went through a lot of Bible studies together. And I think she was really one of the first people that kind of infused a love for reaching the next generation. Um, and that kind of laid the groundwork for me becoming a teacher. I mean, I look back now and I'm thinking about how much sacrificial time she spent with a 13-year-old, you know, and it meant something. And another really influential um, couple in my life were Todd and Jackie Knight, who are some of the elders at my, our church, and um, they are like second parents to me. And I remember uh, growing up, and Todd and Jackie bring the fun. Like, they are the party people. They love to laugh. They host so well. And I remember watching them be friends with my parents, and thinking, I want friendship like that. I want friendship where people love Jesus, where they're faithful to the Lord, but that being a follower of Jesus and having fun and celebrating isn't separate. And for some reason, I think sometimes our culture separates the two. Like you have to be somber and it's no fun to follow the Lord and it's always a burden and it's never, it always is just downhill, downhill, downhill. And that's not the case, though there are seasons of that. And so I, I remember wanting so badly, I want to have friendship, like Todd and Jackie are friends with my parents and how much they love them. And, and now I'm in church and I have friends like that. And I'm just so thankful. Um, and I think maybe one of the last things about being a pastor's kid, though it's not the best one, it's actually my least favorite part about being a pastor's kid, is that sometimes people don't love your parents as much as you do. And I had to walk through some really hard seasons of learning how to forgive people um, and not be secondhand offended about things that I couldn't control and honestly didn't know the whole story of some of those things. But that's the only thing. I really, really, really did like being a pastor's kid. It was fun. So I say all that to say... Even with all of that, really, with a really strong childhood where Jesus became very real to me at a really young age, um, and I loved him, I still walked through really hard stuff. And today I'm really just talking about hope and hope in Jesus, and I'm going to share a couple of different stories personally where Jesus has infused hope in me where I did not see a way out, and where he did that through his church. 
And so it really brings me to my first point, which again, really simple, it's just hope and peace are found in Jesus. <laughs> I tried to keep it really short and sweet. Um, so I'm going to tell one story um, from basketball. I actually played college basketball at ACU, Go Wildcats. And oh, look at that, the, the few and far between. <laughs> so I went to ACU on a basketball scholarship, and I learned very quickly as a 18, 19-year-old freshman that my ideas of what playing sports in college were like um, were drastically different in reality. And so what happens, just in case you don't play sports or you didn't play college sports, what happens in college sports is everyone who is the very best person on their high school team gets picked and they all get put on the same team together and then they're playing for five positions. Yeah, and it's really hard. And um, the camaraderie and the uh, state championship and the we're going to be friends and buddies forever vibe is definitely not there in college sports because there's money on the line. Your scholarship is on the line. And I really had a wrestle with God for four straight years through that. And it was really hard. It actually broke me. In, and I say that in a sweet way. It broke me sweetly, but over a long period of time. And my identity was in completely wrapped up in my performance and what I thought it meant to be successful. And my coaches didn't see it the same way I did, and it was really, really hard. And I actually had a recurring nightmare that I was on the bench, and my coach called me up to come sub in, and I would stand up, and the bench would just stretch out to eternity. And I would run and not go anywhere. And she'd be waiting for me to call me in, and then she would say, that's all right, you didn't really want to play anyway, and then I would wake up. And yeah, it's really sad. Um, and like truly a recurring, it was a recurring nightmare. And I also, I would get this sinking feeling in my gut on game days, on home game days, because my dad would drive, mom and dad would drive up two plus hours on a Saturday afternoon to Abilene and they would watch me sit the bench for two hours and then they would get in the car and they would drive home. And I knew that that was before a Sunday morning and it was just, oh, it would just make me sick inside. And so I was really, I would probably say this is one of two times in my life where I was really in a depressive state. I wasn't thinking good thoughts about myself. I had no self-worth or self-value. And I really wasn't engaging with the Lord at all. I was really discouraged. And so anyways, one of those days, we had an away game. We drove back on a bus. I hadn't played a lick of playing time. I was really sad. And I thought to myself, if I get in the car when we get home from and get to Abilene, it'll be probably 10.30. I can get in the car by 11. I can drive home. If I drive really fast, I can get home by 1.00. And I can go to church on Sunday in Fort Worth, and I can just be out of Abilene for like even less than 24 hours would be better than nothing. And so I got in the car, drove home very fast, and was an emotional wreck, was crying. I ended up getting pulled over by a police officer for driving way over the speed limit. And when he came up to my car, I can only imagine what he saw, which was this <laughs> swollen face from crying for an hour, hair in a bun, sweatpants, gross. And he asked me why I was speeding, and I looked at him, my lip quivered, and I just burst into tears, and I way overshared, like way overshared <laughs> with this poor police officer who had no clue what he was getting himself into. And I thank God to this day for that police officer who I think must have been a dad, because he looked at me and he said, if you drive a little slower, your dad will still be there when you get home. And so he let me go with a warning. I ended up going home, sat on the front row with my mom the next morning. I don't remember anything that dad talked about. But at our church, every single Sunday, we have a time for ministry where we have ministry people come up and you can have prayer. And so they had that, and I wasn't budging from the front row. Um, but I did feel a tap on my shoulder. And Tiffany Guild, um, who I actually mentioned earlier, had come up and she said, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to pray for you. Can I pray for you? And 
you can't say no <laughs> to those kinds of things, I've realized. So I said, yeah, and honestly, I don't remember a whole lot of what she prayed for me, but she did sit beside me for a long time, and she asked me to ask the Lord what he thought of me. And I, in that moment, realized that I hadn't been asking God anything. I'd been telling God a lot of things. I'd been telling God a lot of how discouraged and mad I was, and why can't you, and why don't you. It wasn't really room for him to respond at all. And I finally gave myself just a little bit of space in that moment, and I said, God, what do you think of me? And so sweetly, I feel like so clearly, I heard the Lord say, Emily, I'm so proud of you. And it just broke me. And I sat there and I wept. And Tiffany Guile sat beside me for who knows how long while I just cried and cried and cried and cried. Because the thing was is that I knew that God loved me. I knew that he cared for me. I knew he had died on the cross for my sins. Like those things were good on that. But I think what I had forgotten was that he sits with us in our grief and he suffers with us. And he doesn't go anywhere. He actually stays with us and he's proud of us. And so... As we look back at Romans 15, 13, I think a huge piece of that verse is the trust part. And a lot of times it just takes looking to the Lord and saying, God, what do you think of me in this situation? Because it's really hard for me to see you right now. And I wish I could tell you that everything changed and I had a bunch of playing time and I became a superstar. Didn't happen at all. Um, actually, nothing changed. And I would say even by senior year, it actually got a little bit worse. But my spirit had changed. And my uh, vision of what actually my role was on the team had shifted. And really, I got to finish. And that became a huge part of my testimony was finishing what I started. So that's really my first story of God really infusing hope into, to me, a very hopeless situation. And I know that when you're thinking about your own stuff that you're going through, someone who's walked through playing college sports, it might not seem like it's something really serious, but just know that everybody's got stuff that they're walking through. Um, and your pain doesn't diminish someone else's pain. And actually, your pain is, is yours, you know? And, and Jesus, he feels all of it. He's a son of suffering. Um, he knows what we've gone through. So my second story is about my daughters. I told you that they are twin miracles, and they really are. And some of you guys walked through this, this situation with us very closely. But for those who, who haven't, I want to tell the story of Liv and Harper. So when we started talking about wanting to have kids, I really was pretty against it. Um, I didn't know if I could do the motherhood thing. Um, I was like, I'm a pretty selfish person. I hear you have to kind of lay down your life. And every time that Lindy Pinkston talks, she's like, it's the most refining thing I've ever done. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know if I'm prepared for that. So we get pregnant and we go to the doctor's appointment and my precious ob Jin, I will always be thankful for him. He lets Aaron hold my hand. It's really sweet. We listen to the baby's heartbeat and it's all so sweet. And then he goes, and here's baby B's heartbeat. And I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> And in that moment, everything changed. So we went from thinking that we were having one baby to now we're processing the idea of having two babies. And in that first doctor's appointment, within 10 minutes of that, he goes on to say, hey, every single twin pregnancy is termed a high-risk pregnancy just because there's a lot of stuff going on and we have to watch it. So what we're going to do is I'm going to refer you to a maternal fetal specialist here in Fort Worth and you'll just go to her every two to three weeks or so and she'll just do a sonogram and make sure that everything's going great. Awesome. So we leave and we're so excited and I go to that visit for the first time and we realized really quickly that things were actually really, really, really not good. And um, the appointments became more frequent and we ended up 
getting moved from the office in Fort Worth to Dallas Fetal Care Center, which is a phenomenal organization. It was actually brand new that year. If Dallas Fetal Care Center had not been opened, we would have been having to probably live for half of that year in Houston because I ended up going to Dallas Fetal Care Center three to four times a week for a stint of almost 10 weeks. Our daughters were diagnosed with twin to twin transfusion syndrome. TTTS, they told us to not look up the stats and that day I, I did because their survival rate for TTTS is 12%. And what ends up happening in that is that our babies were monodi twins, which means that each of them had their own amniotic sac, but they were sharing a placenta. And the placenta is just an organ. It doesn't know what nutrients it's shooting to which baby. And so what was happening was Liv was getting almost no nutrients. She was literally, um, she wasn't growing and even was shrinking in the womb. And because she wasn't growing correctly, her organs weren't forming right and her heart wasn't forming right. And they thought for a little bit that she could have had a different chromosomal disorder and so that was happening for, with Liv. On the flip side, Harper was getting way too much um, nutrients and amniotic fluid, and it was crushing her brain. And her heart wasn't able to form correctly, and so different chambers in her heart at different times were not forming correctly. It was incredibly discouraging. And so as the weeks progressed, what my day would look like would be I would drive to Dallas, I would sit for two hours in a really, really long ultrasound that was actually kind of painful just because of how long you had to be on your back, and they would measure every body part and every organ they could find, and they would tell me that something was wrong. And then I would walk across the hall and go have an echocardiogram where they would measure every chamber of both girls' hearts, and they would listen to their heartbeat and measure it and compare it to other stats, and then they would tell us that something was wrong. And I kid you not, it was appointment after appointment after appointment where the news was not good. And I remember driving home from Dallas one day by myself and thinking to myself, if I just stop caring then when they die, it won't hurt as much. And I was just so discouraged. And I really, that probably was the farthest from the Lord I've ever, I've ever really felt. I just felt so alone. And um, I ended up having three different medical procedures done to try and keep the babies in the womb. And it was incredibly stressful, high anxiety, obviously. And one day I was teaching, which it blows my mind that I was still like standing up and teaching in front of students every day, but I was teaching and felt like my heart was beating really fast and my stomach was hurting. And so I went down to our nurse and she checked my blood pressure and it was really, really high. And she said, you probably need to call your doctor and see if you guys need to go to Dallas. So call my doctor, tell him what my blood pressure is. He freaks out and he's like, you need to, you need to come right now to Dallas. And so I go home to check, um, to pack up my bag actually. And my dad called me. And he said, hey, I'm in the prayer room, which is across the parking lot from here. He said, I'm in the prayer room with Kola. And Kola was a Nigerian brother in the Lord. We love him so much. And he wants to come and pray for you before you leave. I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't want anyone to pray for me right now. I'm super stressed. I probably need to get to Dallas ASAP. But I said yes. And dad and Kola drove to our house. And Kola sat in front of me on his knees. And he prayed Psalm 139 over me and my girls. And... All of us have probably heard Psalm 139. It talks about God making us in the womb, that he knows every day. And it's, uh, it's actually a pretty well-known psalm. And in that moment, I felt like I was able to step back out of my situation and just see what was happening. And I realized in that moment that God was using Cola to minister to me. But then I was able to see what our church had been doing because honestly, I'd had my eyes just so downtrodden that I hadn't seen what our church body was doing. And people were warring for my daughters, you guys. And a lot of them are y'all, <laughs> so thankful. And people just showed up. Mike and Pam Smith, I can't even imagine the amount of prayers that they prayed for my daughters. Um, 
the Woods and the Andersons and the Cooners and the Traps, they were also pregnant while I was pregnant and were selflessly walking alongside me um, and really just letting me grieve a little bit instead of it just being about them too, which is just mind-blowing in that because y'all know pregnancy is crazy. And the Wiesners were just walked alongside us as well, just such dear friends to us. And I just started realizing, oh my goodness, I'm not alone. (laughs) And I've been feeling so alone, but I'm not alone. And they're actually being the hands and the feet of Jesus in a situation that looked pretty hopeless, I mean, honestly. And if you know the story and you've seen the pictures, you know that Liv and Harper actually were born with no problems. It's a true miracle. But that's really not the point of the story, actually, because really what happened was the heart change that I desperately needed to have months and months before they were ever born. And I needed the body of Christ to step in when I could not see it, because I really couldn't see it. And so those are just two stories of where I felt like God has really poured in hope to me when I really didn't feel like I could see it for myself. But when we go back to the verse, it says that... When he fills us with joy and peace, we overflow with hope. And so I think this is the beautiful part as our church body is that it's an overflow. And a lot of times it's an overflow in the church, which is beautiful, but I think it's even more beautiful when we overflow outside of the church and we give hope to the people around us who desperately need it. Because if you have seen anything of our world, it is incredibly broken and people are searching for hope in all the wrong places And Jesus is the only hope that does not disappoint. And so I'm going to share just one story um, from my second point, which is when we're filled with the hope and peace from Jesus, it overflows to others. Um, From what I do for a living, which is that I'm a teacher. Uh, I teach at a private Christian school. I teach Bible to juniors in high school. It's such a fun job. You might be like, oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. No, you can't. And it's awesome. So I teach this class called Life Calling, and the purpose of the class is just to reiterate and teach our students that God has called you to live a life of purpose, and that he actually has gifted you uniquely and designed you specifically. He chose the gifts for you personally so that you can walk out your calling for him. It's an awesome class. Highly recommend it. Um, But in my class, one of the things that we do, it's called a life map. And so... What I have them do is we're talking about the idea of your experience, your personal experience, and I have them draw on a sheet of paper the highs and the lows of their life to date. And they have to draw a little picture of something that represents what that situation experience, um, that time of their life was. And so um, I wanna stop right here and say that I teach a very wide spectrum of students. So I do teach kids that are affluent, who come from really wealthy families. I also teach kids that don't. I teach some kids who walk deeply with the Lord. I teach some kids who don't want anything to do with Jesus and are very vocal with me about that. And then I also teach kids who don't know the story of Noah and the ark. So it's a really wide spectrum. It actually makes my job kind of difficult. But in this moment, it's always so beautiful to me because what I have is I have kids who've never shared parts of their life before and they're sharing it with a class of 17 people. And everything kind of comes out and a lot of times it's their very first time to ever share some of these experiences done it for five years, and every year I say that I've heard it all. And unfortunately, that is not the truth, because every single year, these kids share these just oh, these awful stories of abuse and neglect and loneliness and divorce and home brokenness, and so much of it is outside of their control. I mean, so much of it's outside of their control. 
And this past spring, um, I actually had three back-to-back classes. I teach a block schedule, so our life map day takes a couple of days, and it really is an emotional, it's emotional couple of class periods. And so in this day, I had three back-to-back class periods, and in the middle class period, it felt like I was getting hit by a tsunami wave. Like, that's the best way I can describe it. I couldn't get my head above water. It was story after story after story of just the worst things that are imaginable were happening to these kids. And I mean, I was broken by, by the, like the fourth kid. <laughs> and we had to get through about 20 kids. And by the end of the class period, I was so overwhelmed that I pretty much dismissed the class, got up and ran out of the classroom, and I went into the teacher's lounge. And there was a private bathroom in there, and I went and shut the door, locked it, and I slid down on the floor, and I just wept for these kids, just wept. And I was so angry. I was like, God, do you not see what they're walking through? I mean, where are their parents? I'll take them all home. I'll take them all. And I'm just so frustrated. I'm just burdened. I'm like, I can't do another class period. I can't listen to one more awful story. I can't do it. And I felt like Jesus said, Emily, you're hearing my heartbeat. And I was like, what does that mean? And it reminded me of a world mandate that I had gone to. Um, Heather Mercer was a missionary in Afghanistan, and she was speaking at this world mandate. And she was a missionary in Afghanistan right after 2011, after, or 2001, whoa, after the Twin Towers um, had fallen. And she actually got captured by the Taliban, and it was like a miracle story of release. And so she's sharing this incredible testimony. And she says that in it, she was like, you know, Jesus' heartbeat sounds like people people. And so I I was reminded by that story, and I sat there on the floor in the teacher's bathroom, and I went through every single kid I could think of that I had just heard their story. And it sounded like Jackson, Jacob, Grace, Toby. And I went through every kid and just wept for these kids. And I felt like, I really truly felt like this is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to create a space for kids to feel like they have a place to share their story, that they have value and intrinsic worth, and that their words matter, and that Jesus sees them, and that no one's going anywhere when they share it. And really, if that's all they get from my class, um, that Jesus loves them and that I love them a lot, then I win. (laughs) And it's a really hard thing to be a teacher. It is, um, because you care a lot. But sometimes I do it really well, and I give hope to my students, and sometimes I really am bad at it. (laughs) Um, But I think that in all of our spheres, we have an opportunity to be people that spill over hope to others, especially those that need it. And as I think through my story, I mean, those are only three stories, and God has just, I mean, he has abundantly poured out blessings on us. He has given me so many opportunities to be a conduit of him. Um, And there are times that I'm great at it and there's times that I miss it. And I know that there's going to be more things that I walk through that are heartbreaking because that's life. Um, Life is hard sometimes. But I think it's a good reminder that God sees us. He sees us. And he sees us in our despair. And he sees us in our anxiety. And he sees us in our unmet expectations where we thought it was going to look different than this. And he sees us in our disappointment. And he doesn't leave and he doesn't forsake us. And so that's really all I have today, and I want to give us some time to pray about it, because in the room, I know there are tons and tons and tons of situations, all unique to each individual, where people are struggling. And so if the ministry team could come forward, and if our band could come back up, we're going to sing one more song, and in that time, we're going to have a time to respond. And so I was praying and asking God, God, what do you think 
we should respond to in regards to my own story. And I heard a couple of things. I feel like the first thing is, if you are walking through a really hard situation right now, and you just need to be reminded and have someone kind of pray for you about being infused with the hope of Jesus, come down and get prayer. That would be the first thing. And if everyone could go ahead and stand up, that would be great as we respond to the Lord. So the first one is if you're feeling like you just need some hope, and this could be like, I've been walking through this specific situation for years. Like it's a long-term hard thing, or this is a really short-term hard thing, or this is relational issues with family or marriage or spouse or friends. So hope in our hard situation. The second is if you struggle with anxiety or if you are going through a really anxious time in your life and you need the peace of Jesus to fall on you, um, come up and get prayer because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. It says in Isaiah that he's the Prince of Peace. And then the third thing I think that we could pray about is if you are kind of like, I don't know how to do the overflow part. Um, that's hard for me. It's hard for me to see outside of myself sometimes. I can barely take care of myself or my family. How in the world can I care for other people and love them well? Or, Emily, my job doesn't let me talk about Jesus freely like your job does. Um, and it's really hard for me to bring up the name of Jesus at my work. Or, I don't know how to talk to my friends about the Lord. It makes me feel awkward or I feel stressed thinking about how to bring it up. Let's pray about that. Let's pray about God giving us space and room and freedom to talk about him and to bring the hope that our world so desperately needs. And of course, if there's anything else you need prayer for, gosh, come up and get prayer because that's what we do here. And it's really encouraging to walk away knowing that you've, had, you've been heard um, and that God sees you. So I'm going to pray real quick and then we'll sing one more song. God, we thank you that you are the bringer of peace. God, that you want to bring hope to the hopeless. And God, that, that is so who you are. It's your character to bring hope. God, would you rest heavy on us as we seek your face. And Lord, I pray that you would just be so near to us. In Jesus' name. If you're still getting ministry, just continue. We are just so thankful for what God is doing in the room. I want to just pray a blessing over you guys as we go. And it's just the verse of Romans 15, 13, which is, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and fill you with all peace as you trust in him, so that you can overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Go in peace. Love you so much.